We're going to be talking about the guidance of God. Last week we talked about the goodness of God. We're going to talk about the guidance of God today. As we look at uh, Genesis chapter 46, verses 1 to 27, I want to begin with this illustration. Pastor, could I talk to you for a minute? Her voice was low. She wasn't sure of herself. She looked to be in her early 20s, a girl I'd never seen at our church before. It was my first year as senior pastor at Full Gospel Tabernacle in downtown Fresno, California. I was greeting people after the Wednesday night Bible study. What can I do for you? Would you please talk with my husband? He moved out uh, from our home and, a, and into an apartment with two women. I don't know what to do. Is he a Christian? He's the one who led me to a relationship with Christ. I'll be glad to talk with him. How can I get in touch with him? That's the problem. I can't reach him. If he wants to talk, he calls me. There was little I could do. I asked her to have him call me if he talked with her again. I remember the look of despair in her eyes as she walked away. Friday was my day off. I got up early. We were landscaping our front yard, and I wanted, to, I wanted it finished. By late morning, the end was in sight. It was hot. I was muddy, aching, and thoroughly tired of the whole project. To add to my woes, I ran out of ornamental plants. I drove to the store for them. The first store had the right kind, but the price had gone up. A store a mile down the road had them, and the price was right. I loaded my cart and headed to the checkout. As I waited in line, I, I, I glanced at the cashier's name tag. It looked familiar. As he began to ring up the plants, I motioned to his name tag. Is that your name? <laughs> Dumb question, but I wanted to be sure. He looked at me blankly, come, going on full village idiot alert. Yes. Are you married to so-and-so? And I named the woman who had ta talked with me on Wednesday night. He looked wary. Yeah. I drew myself up to my full six foot five inches, unshaven, messy, sweaty, and muddy. I gave him my happiest smile. God has sent me here to talk to you about your marriage. Some 300,000 people lived in the Fresno area then. Out of all of them, the first person I had talked to other than family and staff since Wednesday night was this husband. In a lifetime of seeking to be led by the Lord, that is the most powerful example I have experienced. I had heard many stories of people led by the Spirit to go to unusual places or to say unusual things. I always wondered what that would be like. At times, I've really needed guidance and have prayed earnestly for it. God has helped me. But my unerring, to waste, uh, no wasted step trip to that husband remains my most remarkable example. Not only was I not trying to be led, I wasn't conscious of God's leading. I just wanted the yard finished. Right? It's amazing how God guides us, right? He guided this pastor to this guy out of 300,000 people in the Fresno area to be the cashier at the place where he was buying ornamental plants. <laughs> you know, as I think about God's guidance, boy, I have all kinds of examples myself, but I have an, a recent one. It happened Wednesday. I was with all the other pastors from the revival on the farm. We were having a follow-up meeting at a, another church over in East Berlin, and uh, they provided breakfast, and the meeting had gone on, um, and uh, they weren't quite finished, and we were going to go and pray in the sanctuary a little bit. And, and, uh, but I had the sense that I needed to leave 
I'm like, that's really weird. I'm supposed to leave before the prayer time's done? Like, we haven't even started. Like, I wanted to be there for the prayer time, but no, I just had the sense that I needed to leave. And so I excused myself and and, uh, got in my car, and I drove back here to the church, and I pulled the car into the garage, and I got out and was starting to walk across the parking lot when I recognized someone walking into the church. It was the lady I've been working with for the uh, Romanian Orphans Choir. And so when I met her inside the, inside the gym, she said, did you get my voicemail message that I left? I said, no, I didn't get it. She said, well, I called last night after hours. I didn't know if you'd get it or not. I said, nope, I didn't see it, didn't hear it. Uh, I had gone in that morning to my office just simply to pick up a folder and head out to this meeting. But God knew, didn't he? He knew that I needed to be here at this particular time, and so he guided me. And I had to listen, right? I had to pay attention to this still, small voice that says, you need to go. I didn't understand why, um, but I knew when I got back, this is why. <clears throat> so we were able to work out some other details uh, for the Romanian Orphans Choir that's coming. But it's incredible how God guides us, isn't it? And I trust that maybe you've experienced some of that yourself. Perhaps all of us can remember a time when we knew that God was guiding us, especially after we've been obedient to his prompting. A lot of times we don't recognize it until afterwards, right? Right? We're like, oh, that's why I had to leave earlier. That's why I had to do this or do that. Because God was actually guiding my steps. And we had to be obedient. Jacob was getting ready to leave the promised land for Egypt. But as he approached the border, he took time to offer sacrifices to God and seek his will. And in that process, he received assurance that God was guiding him to Egypt and had his blessing to continue. Jacob sought the will of God and was able to trust him to guide them as a group of people as they traveled to Egypt. And we can do the same thing, which brings us to our big idea today, that we can trust God to guide us when we seek his will. So let's trust him to guide us today as we open this passage of Scripture. So would you bow your heads with me? Lord, we cry out to you today, and we ask for your guidance as we look at this passage of Scripture. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just work in each heart and mind right now. Would you open ears that they might hear your word? Would you open their eyes, Lord God, that they might see uh, new things in your word that they haven't seen before? That you would transform this body of believers to become more like your son, Jesus. Lord, I pray that, that you would just speak through your um, fallible vessel today. I pray, Lord God, that I would only speak your words. If there's something I'm not supposed to say, Lord, keep me from saying it. If there's things that I'm supposed to say, would you cause me to say those? And so, Lord, we commit our time to you. We look forward to how you're going to guide us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look at God's guidance first, and then we're going to look at God's grace as our two points today. And so if you have your Bibles, let's look at uh, chapter 46, verses 1 to 4. We see God's guidance here. This is what God's Word says. So Israel set out with all that was his. And when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob. Here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. 
and Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. So we see here some of God's guidance. Just to review a little bit from last week, we saw that Jacob was finally convinced that Joseph was alive. Remember, he had thought for 22 years that Joseph had been devoured by a wild animal and was dead. And now his sons come back and confess what they did and tell him that Joseph is, is alive. And, then, and so Joseph, or Jacob says, okay, great, I believe you. Let's go to Egypt and see my son before I die. And so Israel leaves um, uh, Canaan for Egypt. And we can assume that Israel or Jacob is still living in Hebron at this point. And so this is just a, a little map to kind of help give you perspective of where we're headed today. You see Jerusalem's north of Hebron, and then uh, Beersheba is just south of Hebron. And then they're moving over to Goshen in the uh, land of Egypt, uh, as we'll see next week. But So he leaves there, and he travels several days before reaching um, Beersheba. And he stopped there momentarily. So he kind of pauses after this couple of day or several day trip. It was 20 miles uh, southwest of Hebron, and this was the southernmost town in the promised land, in the land of Canaan. So this is it. He's right on the border. He's getting ready to cross over into Egypt. And it was a significant town for Jacob's family. So his grandfather Abraham had, had uh, planted a tamarisk tree there and called on the name of the Lord. We see that in Genesis 21, 33. And his father Isaac had also called on the Lord and he had built an altar there in Beersheba. We see that in Genesis chapter 26, verses 23 to 30, or 25. So Jacob stopped there and he sacrificed to the God of his father Isaac. So before leaving Canaan, the promised land, Israel or Jacob wanted to make sure that he was following God's plan and not his own wishes or desires. That's important for us, isn't it? We need to do the same thing. Before we take this step, whatever God's calling us to, we need to pause for just a moment and say to him, is this the direction that I should go? Or is this simply my desire, right? Like Jacob didn't want to go just because he wanted so desperately to see his son that he hadn't seen in 22 years. He wanted to know that this was God's plan and purpose. And so he was seeking his will as he sacrificed to them, or to God. And so he's, as he's seeking this, this uh, guidance, the purpose of offering the sacrifices was uh, to seek the guidance and wisdom of God. And so we see our first principle today, and it comes actually out of Gangle and Bramer's commentary. <clears throat> so I quote them today. Don't be afraid to confirm God's leading in the midst of puzzling circumstances. If you remember, Jacob was living under the assumption for the last 22 years that Joseph had been devoured by a wild animal and was no longer alive. And when his other, when his other sons had confessed that Joseph was still alive and second in command of Egypt he, and, and wanted them to come down to Egypt to live there with him, Jacob just grew numb at the hearing of that news, right? He didn't know what to do. He probably never expected to see Joseph again. But here, Israel, or Jacob, wanted to know the will of God for him. Wearsby says this, It's good to ask for God's special help and blessing when we're about to enter a new phase of life. So that's important for us. My question for you today is, are you currently facing a change in your life? A new phase in your life? Perhaps it's a new relationship. Maybe it has to do with your occupation. Maybe you need a job, or maybe you would want a different job, right? 
I want to make more money, or I can't stand this person at work, whatever the case may be. The change could be concerning your education. What am I supposed to study? Should I change my major? Should I be going to this college or university? Should I go somewhere else? What should I be doing? Should I even go to college? So we think about our high school graduates. Others of us may be dealing with a change financially. Should I make this decision financially? Should I take that step? Should I buy this thing or invest in this area? What should I do? So all of us are probably in some phase of life that's changing for us. So the question is, have you already made the decision? Have you already made the move or are you still considering it? You may be on the border of this decision, about to make the change, and now is the time to stop momentarily and confirm God's leading. And that takes us to our first next step today on the back of your communication card. It says, ask the Lord to confirm his leading about a change in my life so I can experience his help and blessing. You see, it takes us back to our big idea that we can trust God to guide us when we seek his will. And when we seek God's will, he will answer. We see that here. God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and used his given name, Jacob. And he says, here I am. Wolk, he says this, this last recorded speech of God to the patriarchs forms a preview of Israel's sacred history in the land of Egypt. The next recorded special revelation will be to Moses at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, about 430 years later. This is the last time God is speaking that we have written in Scripture to the patriarchs until Moses. 430 years. And so Jacob is attentive to the voice of God. He's listening, and he responds, here I am. We need to be attentive to the voice of God also, especially if we're seeking his will. After identifying himself, God encourages Jacob. He says, don't be afraid to go down to Egypt, because I will fulfill the promise there that I made to you, your father, and your grandfather. Perhaps Jacob was fearful about going to Egypt because of the difficulties that his grandfather had experienced, Abraham. He went down there. Because there was a famine, right? We see it in Genesis chapter 12, verse 10, through chapter 13, verse 1. He goes down there, and this is one of the times where he says that his wife is his sister, and you know all this kind of crazy stuff happens, and he gets kicked out of Egypt, and, and whew, all kinds of issues. Joseph Elliott says this, Keep close to God, and then you need fear nothing. That's what Jacob was doing. He may have recalled God's prohibition for his father, Isaac, concerning Egypt, as we saw in, in Genesis chapter 26, verse 2. Isaac goes down to Beersheba, and, and God says, don't, don't cross the line. Don't go out of the promised land. You need to stay. Don't do it. Hamilton says this, What God denied Isaac, he permits, he permits for Jacob. For Isaac, Egypt was off limits. For Jacob, Egypt is the land in which God will bless Jacob and his progeny and form them into a nation. Thus, the sojourn of Jacob and his family to Egypt is not in fundamental opposition to God's purposes. Rather, the sojourn is part of the development of God's plan for the, his chosen family, first articulated to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 and following. 
God had promised to make Abraham's descendants into a great nation. This is coming true. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, we read these words. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will, become a, and you will be a blessing. Genesis chapter 17, verse 6. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. Genesis chapter 18, verse 18. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. And then Jacob is given the same promise when he's fleeing Esau. In Genesis chapter 28, verse 14, we read these words. Your descendants will be like the, uh, yeah, the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the, east and to, or to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. So God had already given Jacob that same promise. So Matthew says the promise of Jacob recalls the ominous prediction given to Abraham also in a night vision. Your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. So we already know that this is coming because of this vision given to Abraham. And we're going to see that this promise is going to come true. It's going to be a great nation. So the principle, too, is this today, that God keeps his promises he kept his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob up to this point. Jacob could trust that he, could keep, or that he would keep his promise again. And the same is true for us. We can trust that God will keep his promises to us. Hold on to that promise today. We also see God's presence with Jacob. God promised his presence with Jacob as he enters Egypt. He not only promised his presence going to Egypt, but also in bringing him back from Egypt. Jacob knew that God uh, would keep that promise because he had already done it once before when he went to Haran. At Bethel, God met with Jacob and promised to watch over him wherever he went. We see that in Genesis chapter 28, verse 15. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. See, God had made this promise to Jacob as he was fleeing his brother Esau to the land of Mesopotamia or Haran. And 22 years later, he was still with him and brought him back to the promised land. In Genesis chapter 31, verse 3, we read these words. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. So God had made this promise to Jacob multiple times, so he knew that he could trust God. He had confidence that God would once again go with him to a foreign land and bring him back to the promised land. He knew from experience that God is not limited by geography. He is omnipresent. Aren't you grateful for that today? He's always with us. And we know from the last half of verse 4 that Jacob would be returning to Canaan in a coffin or sarcophagus, because Joseph would be there to close his eyes after he had died. So Jacob knew he wasn't coming back to the promised land alive. He would have been really old. I think he's 130 at this point. Imagine another 430 years added to that. That's pretty old. Here's our third principle today. God promises to go with us wherever we go when we go according to his will. So if you've asked the Lord about it, that new relationship that you're interested in pursuing and he's confirmed his leading, 
then he will go with you into that relationship. If you've consulted the Lord about that new job and he's confirmed as leading, then he will go with you as you start that new job. If you've sought the Lord's leading about your schooling and he's confirmed it, then know that he will go with you to that school. If you've asked the Lord about that financial decision and he is confirmed as leading, then trust that he will be with you as you move forward. And whatever decisions you need to make when you consult the Lord and receive his leading, <clears throat> then you can be confident that he will go with you. And that's our second next step today. And that's just to trust in God's presence with me after I have consulted him and received his leading. That takes us back to our big idea that we can trust God to guide us when we seek his will. After a momentary stop in Beersheba, Jacob continues his journey to Egypt. <clears throat> I'm not going to read all these verses because I don't want you to see how painful it will be for me to read all these names. I'm going to read some of these verses to you today, and you can look at the rest. Let's start at verse 5 through verse 7. Then Jacob left Beersheba, and Israel's sons took their father Jacob and their children and their wives and the carts that Pharaoh had sent to transport them. They also took with them their livestock and the possessions they had acquired in Canaan. And Jacob and all his offspring went to Egypt. He took with him to Egypt his sons and grandsons, his daughters and granddaughters, all his offspring. Then verse 8 says, These are the names of the sons of Israel, Jacob and his descendants, who went to Egypt. Now if you'll jump with me down to verse 26. And this is what God's word says there. All those who went to Egypt with Jacob, those who were his direct descendants, not counting his son's wives, numbered 66 persons. With the two sons who had been born to Joseph in Egypt, the, num the members of Jacob's family which went to Egypt were 70 in all. So I'll just, yeah, I'll, I'll bear you the pain of all those names today. <laughs> So Jacob's sons used the carts that Pharaoh had provided to transport their father, their wives, and their children. They took with them two things, goods and the, their goods and group, their clutter and their clan, their possessions and their people, their holdings and their household. I just thought I would have fun with a bunch of words today. But the goods that he took were their livestock, so they took all their livestock, and also their possessions. Now, last week I asked you if you'd ever had the experience or the privilege of living in a fully furnished apartment or house, right? That's kind of nice, but maybe not long-term, right? <laughs> While we can, uh, it can be exciting for a short term, most of us find comfort in our own things, right? Like, we know where everything is, and we know how everything works, and all that stuff. And, and so we find comfort in our own things. Perhaps that's what Jacob and his household were thinking. And also, Jacob realized that this was not going to be a short-term visit. This wasn't a vacation. This was a permanent move, at least for 430 years. Especially when the Lord told him that he would make him into a, a great nation there. He's like, oh, this is going to be, we're going to be there a while. Israel will become a great nation while they were in Egypt. Hamilton says Egypt will become the womb for the great nation. And we know from the promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, verse 13, that the Israelites are going to be there at least 400 years. <coughs> they not only took their goods, but they also took their group. Now we see a summary of it very generally, 
we see that it's Jacob and all his offspring. That's nice. We'll just maybe stick with that today. He gets a little more specific when he says his sons and grandsons, his daughters and granddaughters. And then he gets really specific in verses 8 to 25, and we're given all of the names um, of his sons. <clears throat> and this uh, genealogy is structured around the two wives and their handmaidens. And so we see first Leah's children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. And again, I won't read all those names <clears throat> for you. I encourage you to read those there. Then we see her handmaiden, Zilpah's children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. Then we see Rachel's children and grandchildren. Now, an interesting note here is that she is the only one identified as Jacob's wife in this genealogy. Why is that? I think we know, right? Rachel is Jacob's favorite. That's who he had worked all those years for first and got tricked. Then he had to work another, what, seven years for Rachel's hand. So this was his favorite wife. That's why she's mentioned as his wife here. And then we see Rachel's handmaiden, Bilhah, her children and grandchildren. <clears throat> now, if you're really technical and you want to know what all the names mean and how to pronounce them, once I upload the message tomorrow onto our website, just go there, click on the link to download the outline, and you'll have it all. I have all the names, how to pronounce them, where, what their name means. It's all right there in my outline. So you're welcome to do that if you'd like. But let's look at the totals then. The total of Jacob's direct descendants, not counting his son's wives, that went to Egypt, Egypt was 66. And then including Joseph, his two sons, and himself, brings the total to 70 in all who started out in Egypt. <clears throat> so, uh, let me help you understand this a little bit. 66, okay, so this, this genealogy that we see here is not extensive, really. So, um, it's, it's better, well, let me read it to you this way. Um, this, this was kind of helpful. And this comes from Walton's commentary. It may be best to consider the list in Genesis 46 as a document listing those who are considered charter members of the Goshen settlement. Remember, this is, they're going to be uh, living in Goshen in the land of Egypt. So these are the charter members. Similar to um, the list that serves as a foundation for the Society of Mayflower Descendants, uh, rather than something like an airplane's manifest or a census document. So they're not including everybody. That is the case uh, and is indicated somewhat in the text itself as it notes that the number does not include the son's wives. They would have physically participated in the journey and resettlement, but their charter status is represented in their husbands. So, again, we're not... It's more than 66 people. And the reason I want you to think about that, too, is it's not counting all of their slaves, all of their servants, and their households. So what, the number of people that are going into Egypt is probably upwards of a couple of hundred or more that are going into Egypt. And so that makes more sense when we talk about how many come out of Egypt, and I'm going to give you that information in just a minute here. So the total leaving Egypt 430 years later was 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. We see that in Exodus chapter 12, verse 37. So we know that it's 600,000 men plus women and children. So a lot of scholars 
put the number, total number, of around 2 million. But again, you're like, well, how can that happen in 430 years with all these generations? You know, mathematicians get in there and they try to make sense of it. And it's like, guess what? We don't have all the information. We just need to trust God's word that is true and right. And this is what it's telling us. And so again, you have the servants and their families, you know, generation upon generation. And so that's how we can get up to these 2 million that are coming back out of Egypt. So God's grace was with Jacob as he left Beersheba and enters Egypt. And that sets the stage for next week. But as we review today, I want to ask you these two questions. Are you ready to ask the Lord to confirm his leading about a change in your life so, so that you can experience his help and blessing? And two, do you need to trust in God's presence with you after you've consulted him and received his leading? Do you need that? To trust that today. And as a body of believers, we need to ask the Lord to confirm his leading about Idaville Church so that we can experience his blessing and help. And we need to trust that God is with us after we have consulted him and received his blessing. We need to move forward. As we close, I want to read this illustration to you. Wishing, wishing to encourage her young son's progress on the piano, a mother took him to a Paderewski concert. After they were seated, the mother spotted a friend in the audience and walked down the aisle to greet her. Seizing the opportunity to explore the wonders of the concert hall, the little boy eventually explored his way through a door marked no admittance. When the house lights dimmed and the concert was about to begin, the mother returned to her seat and discovered that the child was missing. Suddenly, the curtains lifted and spotlights focused on the impressive Steinway on stage. In horror, the mother saw her little boy sitting at the keyboard picking out Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. <laughs> wow. At, what do you do at that point? Anyhow. <laughs> at that moment, the great piano master made his entrance, quickly moved to the piano, and whispered in the boy's ear, keep playing. Then Paderewski reached down with his left hand and began filling in the bass part on the piano. Soon his right arm reached around the other side of the child as he added a running obligato. Together, the old master and the young novice transformed a frightening situation into a wonderfully creative experience. The audience was mesmerized. That's the way it is with God. What we can accomplish on our own is less than noteworthy. We try our best, but the results aren't exactly graceful flowing music. But with the hand of the master, our, lives, our life's work can be beautiful. Next time you set out to accomplish great feats, listen carefully. You can hear the voice of the master whispering in your ear, keep playing. Feel his loving arms around you. Know that his strong hands are there to help you turn your feeble attempts into a true masterpiece. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. And, he's and he'll always be there to love you and to guide you onto great things. Your worst days are never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. Jacob did not expect to see his son Joseph again, but now he would because God did not stop playing. God will make something out of our lives if we remain faithful to him. So you see, he'll guide us. 
He'll reach around us and help us as we seek his will and his plan and purpose for our lives. He'll make us something beautiful. And so I encourage you today just to trust the guidance of God. And so as the ushers prepare to take up the tithes and offerings and the communication cards, as the worship team comes, would you just bow your heads with me as we close in prayer? Lord, we just come to you today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the guidance that you gave to Jacob as he cried out to you, as he sacrificed to you, Lord God. He wanted to know your will, your perfect will for his life. Should he go down to Egypt or not? And Lord, you answered him in that through a a vision and told him that you would go with him, that this was where where you were leading him. And so, Lord, I, I pray that we would in the same way sacrifice to you today, that we would cry out to you and ask you, uh, if, is this the direction I'm supposed to go? Is this the decision I'm supposed to make? And Lord, help us to listen to your still small voice today. And will we be obedient to what you're calling us to? And we thank you that you promised to go with us. So Lord, we ask all this in your precious son's name. Amen. Would you stand with us?